Hey everybody, before this episode begins, I'd like to say that if you value the history of, it does me and future listeners a great service if you leave a review. I talk a lot about contributing value back to the podcast, and it sounds cheesy, but positive reviews are a big factor in Apple bumping up the recommendation of a podcast. I'll stop talking and then I'll let some music play for a couple seconds and I'll start talking again, so here's the episode. This is episode 46 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert, coming at you with Better Sound Than Last Time. And today's episode is interesting. I'll get back to that. But I'm so glad you're tuning in today, and really, you really made my day by listening today, and I mean it. To start, I have the egg carton count, and this week's egg carton count is 55. So, same as last week, but that's alright. Plan on getting some, some new egg cartons soon, a new shipment. Um, It occurred to me a couple days ago that this podcast expands your knowledge of niche history to give you something to say at a party when, you know, your friends are wondering how podcasting was invented or who had the guts to be the first skydiver. I decided one's knowledge of history would be incomplete if they don't have anything to say about the Dutch tulip bubble. So I had to do them with another economics-based episode couldn't help myself, but hang in there. This one's going to make sense, and it's, it's going to be good. So here we go. It starts in the late 1500s, actually 1594, when the botanist Carolus Clusius, Clausius? Clusius is more fun to say. I'll stick with that. He, he actually planted the first tulips in Holland in 1594. And tulips aren't native to Holland. They actually come from the Ottoman Empire. And... Why tulips became so popular in Holland is up in the air, but here's my take. Tulip mania really took off in 1610, and it had an exponential effect. In essence, there were a few people uh, at the beginning who really actually liked tulips, and then everyone else followed because everyone else was doing it. In economics, this is called a Nash equilibrium, and I might have talked about this in the history of Twitter. In the example of Twitter, one, uh, once a good amount of people join Twitter, there's no reason for somebody to go anywhere else because all his friends are on Twitter, and that's the only option. And the bigger Twitter gets, the stronger its force to attract new users becomes. And when we get back to tulips, the more people that jump on the tulip bandwagon, the more attractive tulips become. It's a social proof, and the reason they were so valuable was because everyone else thought they were so valuable. So we get to this growing tulip market in 1610. And what makes things interesting is that tulips are seasonal, and the sweet spot is between June and September. But what if people want to buy and sell tulips all year round? Well, it's not a good idea, but you can. To do that, uh, say I have a friend who I want to sell tulips to, and my friend might say in March that he'd like to secure 10 of my tulips when the season comes around. And I might say, okay, I'll agree right here, right now, to sell you 10 tulips for $5 a piece. And he would hand me $50 and wait till June for his tulips. And this kind of deal is called a futures contract. And if the market price of tulips, in other words, the generally agreed upon price, was $5 in March, 
but it goes up to $8 in June, then he's made a sweet deal and saved some money. And if he's really smart, he might turn around and sell his $8 tulips to somebody else and make $3 a piece. But if the price goes down to, say, $2, then my friend just wasted some money paying too high a price ahead of time. I would be the winner in that second situation because I get to sell my tulips for a higher than market price because he uh, he agreed to to buy for a higher price ahead of time and he doesn't get to change that. And it doesn't help that while all these deals are happening in this growing tulip market, the flowers themselves take 7 to 12 years to mature uh, from bulb to full-grown tulip. And in early uh, 17th century Holland, as the demand began to increase, the price of tulips also increased. So of course, everyone wants to settle on a price now and turn around and make some money in the future. That first scenario I talked about a moment ago would be much more likely than that second scenario. And at first, only the upper class engaged in these kinds of deals, these kinds of uh, futures contracts, because they were the only ones with that kind of money. But eventually, the lower class began to see this as a get-rich-quick scheme. And so a lot of people made riches and went back to poverty very quickly. And uh, more and more people began to get involved, and the price of tulips continued to rise until we get to 1636. And that's where things really took off. There are a few different varieties of tulips, and trust me, this part's important. So you have your standard, basic yellow or violet tulips, and those weren't too terribly expensive. Then you have your striped tulips. Now, these are rare. Although they didn't know this at the time, the stripes are caused by a virus, actually the mosaic virus. And I'd have to say, this is the only plant on which the mosaic virus is desirable. On tomatoes, it actually takes out oblong holes in the leaves, but in tulips, it leaves white or yellow stripes on the petals. It's quite nice. You can maybe look up some pictures for yourself. And the price uh, difference among all these different varieties was wild. We're talking from as little as three payments of $19.99, I'm just kidding, to as much as the price of a house and, oh yeah, that's for one flower and I'm not kidding about that one. These tulips weren't priced by the flower though, they were actually priced by a unit called the Oz, uh, A-A-S. One Oz is one 564th of an ounce which again is one sixteenth of a pound. And in November of 1636, a standard flower cost under 10 guilders per Oz. And I think skyrocketed is a worn out word in investing, but I think this, this case deserves it. So in February 1637, that price of under 10 guilders per Oz skyrocketed to 200 guilders. That is a price increase of over 1,900%. And before you get all Dogecoin on me and tell me Dogecoin spiked 12,000%, I need to draw a parallel between tulips and cryptocurrencies. There's something to the fact that tulips have little commodity value and cryptocurrencies have no commodity value. In other words, in plain English, they're both basically useless when it comes to actually, like, using them for stuff. And... I'm not the only person to think of this. Adam Curry is the first I know of to draw this parallel. By the way, episode 39, the history of podcasting, I think it's all I need to say. Both cryptocurrencies and Dutch flowers hold this inconceivable value that's 
only attached to something like the dollar or the guilder. And there's only one problem with that analogy between, you know, flowers and cryptocurrencies, though. And it comes with this. The city of Harland, uh, Harland, the city of Harlem in the Netherlands held regular auctions for tulip bulbs. But in February 1637, Harlem was suffering from an outbreak of the Black Plague. And nobody showed up for this auction, of course, because why would you why would you show up when there's an outbreak of the Black Plague? But because nobody showed up, that's when things began to collapse. The price of tulips dropped from what it had uh, been the past November, and Holland saw the world's first bubble. And the crash didn't notably bring any kind of serious recession, but it sure left everyone shocked, because after all, they're just tulips. They're not like... I don't know, it's not like a food supply. And wow, this is a great story to learn from and apply to modern bubbles, but there's a catch. Holland was part of the Holy Roman Empire at this time, which was engaged in the Thirty Years' War, which throws a lot of things off when we try to compare them to today. And we also run into the problem that maybe the tulip bubble wasn't as big as we thought. Original records are spotty, and the story wasn't very famous until Charles McKay wrote about it in his Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds book. And that's the main source uh, this story has been going off of, and he got most of his information from A History of Inventions, Discoveries, and Origins, written by Johann Beckmann in 1797. So sadly, this story has just been playing telephone for years, so some parts might have been embellished. And still, Holland has been famous for its flowers ever since, so I thought I might give an update on the Dutch flower markets ever since then, in case you're interested. Large-scale flower trade, like we have today, would have to wait for innovations in transportation. Otherwise, the trip to export would take too long, and the flowers would wilt before they got to the customer. And this brings us to the 1960s, where we start seeing trade between northern and southern Europe. And later on, Israel and Kenya would, they would be the, the ones to step up their flower production game. But this still leaves us with the largest flower auction in the world. You may have heard of it. It's the Alsmere Flower Auction. And it's not the only uh, flower auction in Holland, but it's definitely the largest. It unofficially started in a pub in 1910, but obviously grew out of that and kept expanding warehouses until it was the third largest building in the world. So next time you're at that awkward family reunion and your cousin, 14 and a half times removed, starts talking about Bitcoin and tulips, be like, hey, just like end the conversation with your vast knowledge base of the Dutch tulip bubble of 1637. I'm going to stop talking now because I think I've talked about tulips enough. So uh, catch you guys in the next one. See ya. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't listen to the next episode just yet. I'd appreciate if you could take just 10 seconds to rate or write a review for The History Of. It really does make the episodes better. And if you think you have a friend who might enjoy this podcast, tell them about The History Of, their new favorite podcast, and you might just make their day. I'd like to thank you all for your gracious, loyal support. And until the next one, I'm Robert Lakatosh. Thanks for listening.